Yes, welcome once again to For and Against, where we cover the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Roach with you here, and I am joined, as always, by a couple of very good friends and colleagues of mine, namely Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. And Stephen Riley coming in from Melbourne. How are you going, Riles? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to everyone who's listening whenever they're listening. Hello. Nice one. And uh, look, it's a bit of a special show for us. As this is our 100th show. Woo! Yes, we've brought up the century. Uh, in fairness, it was actually across two innings, the first being with the ABC under the More Than Just a Game banner, where we finished on 77, retired hurt, and here with the Diamond Tina Media Network, where we are 23 not out, hence the ton. Say that again, 77 and 23. 77 and 23. And 23. Yeah, that, that adds up, up, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> had me worried for a sec there. So 100 not out, Richie. Calling 100 not out, yeah. We're so, raising the bat. Round of applause. Yeah, well done, team. Yeah, well done, well done, well done, gentlemen. Now, I think it's important that we take guard and settle in and, you know. And go on with it. Look forward to going on, go on mm. with it exactly. Yeah, like. don't stop now. The team needs us. Um, the media world needs us. Just they to do, keep, yeah, keep yeah. going. Head down. I agree with you, Steve-O. Just pretend you're, pretend you're on zero. That's Neil all. Neil That's Neil how we should play it from here. In our 100th show, we'll go back to the Live Golf Well as further developments suggest that it ain't dead and buried after all. In the shootout, we'll look at netball, making the news uh, both on and off the field, our qualification for the World Cup, and also finally look back at the impact of one of the doyens of Australian sports commentary. Of course, we'll wrap it up uh, the show with Red Card, Yellow Card, where we revel in the off-field misdemeanours of sporting types around the world. You can find us on Twitter at for and against underscore, uh, on Insta, dot. And against, and we do have a Hotmail address if you're interested, fawning against at Hotmail, but no one seems to use that, which is a bit of a shame because it's a direct way to have a chat with us. But for now, let's get into the show. Like a phoenix rising, Jono, live golf makes it back onto the agenda of for and against. Uh, I think we'd previously written it off as all but dead and buried. Well, but it a couple seems, of us wrote it off. seems some of those players encamped on the high moral ground have, have redone their sums. Yeah, it's been an amazing development. This one hasn't mm. it? It really is a. It's a battle, or it's a. It's a war. I don't want to, you know, overegg this too much, but it is a war for the the heart and soul of golf, and it's a financial war that is taking place at the moment. Really fascinating to see how it's playing out. We had the Australian version of of this with Super League versus the ARL many years ago. World we had, Series cricket, if you want to go back World far Series enough. cricket. We've obviously had that in the past as well, the Euro- European Super League, which didn't get off the ground in mm. recent times when it came to world football. But this is head-to-head, and it's really interesting to see how it plays out. Initially, there was a bunch of sort of older, past their prime players who were signed up, but more and more in recent times, you are seeing the young guns like Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, and more and more who are signing up for the big bucks. So, you know, what is Live Golf? It's a totally different concept. It's um, a three-day... It's not totally different. It's just got 54 holes instead of 72. Well, as a non-officiator... You know what, you know what it is? It's, it's golf. But louder. Uh huh. Yeah. That, that's not, that's, that's not too slogan. hard. That's their slogan. Oh, is it? Yeah. That's yeah, their well, slogan. Oh, God. Yeah, 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 such yeah. Is a, there you go. See? Must have paid someone <laughs> millions for that. Jeepers. But yeah, you're right, Richie. So 54 holes, so three days, not four. Um, shotgun start, which means everyone tees off at the same time from different holes. So it can all be over in three or four hours. So it's made for TV. Right. So rather than having you know, a day's golf that takes seven, eight, nine hours, it's all done in three or four hours. So it's a... It's all about the product, and at the moment they don't have enough players. They don't have the scale to make it something that's going to, you know, make me want to watch it. And it doesn't have the history. But give it some time. This is a real threat, an existential threat to 
PGA Golf. Can I just ask you, I get the history bit, but what, what do you mean about it doesn't have the scale to get you interested in? Is it just they don't have the quality of field, the depth of field? They don't have the depth of field at the moment. So whilst they do have some big names, I mean, <coughs> having Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, they're three top 20 players. Even the I've rest, heard of them. The rest of them are sort of older past their prime players at the moment. Mickelson, obviously, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, and uh, Ian Poulter and the like. Did I read that there's, they've picked up some young younger players who might be sort of ranked 70, 80 in the world kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they they've got the money to to sign these people up. There's 25 million bucks prize money for every event compared to what would a major pay a few mil? Yeah, so major winners. So Cameron Smith, when he won, he didn't win a major, but he won the next best thing. He got a check for I think four million dollars, and there was probably you know ten or fifteen million dollars on offer. But it means like the Still a lot of money. The forty eighth ranked player, the player who comes last, takes home a couple of hundred grand or three hundred grand in and, live. Yeah, in live. So it, it's it's serious coin. I just I looked up actually what the uh, payouts were for the first you tournament. Did research? <laughs> well, you know it's golf, but louder. I was keen. Um, so that Simon's spot on. The guy that came last, he earned about one hundred twenty thousand bucks. I think this is US. And by comparison, that's the same as mm. the guy that finished nineteenth in the Canadian Open. Right. So you know it's a lot easier it's a step than 120k change. now i think i think there's an interesting game of chicken that's going to happen here though because the season's not very long is it simon it's only what eight tournaments yeah i mean it's obviously the first year and we'll see how it plays out over the next little while um and there it's a massive expense for the first year because they're putting up 25 million bucks a tournament and i think you're right at seven or eight tournaments and they're spread out. It's sort of one tournament every three or four weeks or so. But, John, John, you say it's a massive expense, but the money <clears throat> money is no object for the... The Sovereign Wealth Fund. <clears throat> yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. That's better. And the PGA, I think, themsel- PGA have themselves said, if this simply boils down to money, we, we can't compete. I think I, I think the commissioner, I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but the commissioner said words to that effect. So the PGA understands the battle that they're in, but, yeah, if it comes into money, there is no competition. Yeah, definitely. And it's been interesting to see the type of steps the PGA have taken. I mean, they're obviously in being backed into a corner a little bit here. And so they've decided to ban um, players mm. who have decided to sign up for live. They're entitled to do that under their organisation. So if you're a PGA member, there are various regulations that you sign up to agree to be bound by. And one of those is that you won't participate in a competing tournament effectively that's on at the same time as a PGA tournament. And so these live tournaments happen to be on on the same weekends as PGA tournaments and therefore they're in breach of their regulations. Yep. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's one of the issues that Liv and Greg Norman has is that the PGA tour just goes for too long and there aren't enough breaks and that it really is not in the interest of players to be playing for nine, 10 or 11 months a year. And you have heard that whinge over the years from some golfers that you know, the PGA Tour just takes too long. So I think they're capitalising a little bit of that aggro from some of the players. Yeah, there's certainly something in that. But I think it's interesting seeing how people have taken high ground and then sort of backed away from it. You mentioned Brooks Kepka before, and he was pretty big earlier this year saying that they'll get their guys, somebody will sell out and go for it. I effectively see anyone who signs up to sell out. And sure enough, mm. you know, eventually Brooks Kepka sells out. Yeah. Do we think that the average golf fan is going to hold that against him, or do you think the average golf fan is going to follow Brooks Kepka onto the Live Golf Tour? Yeah, so at the moment, I think the average golf fan is going to stick with the PGA Tour because that's where most of the better players are. That's where the history is. And I mean, you only had to watch a couple of the recent tournaments. 
um, the US Open was a cracking finish. You had some young players duking it out over the last few holes to try and win their first major, and that was an amazing thing to watch. So I think, at least in the short term, when it comes to Joe Public, um, most people are going to stick with... They're not going to want golf louder, I don't think, in the short term. But I do think that this is you know a long-term play, and ultimately it's probably a case of the Live Tour ultimately going to try and do a deal with the PGA, whereby both tours can coexist because at the moment they're directly competing with each other but I think surely the ultimate play here from Live Golf is you know we just want to carve out a few months a year where we can have our an IPL effectively mm. yeah, I think very much so and so it'll be like a short form or a different hmm. form of golf hmm. you can still have the majors you can still have your PGA Tour but it may not be 10 or 11 months a year it may have to be contracted into six seven or eight months and you have your Live Tour separate to that so I have a couple of uh, iconoclastic questions I think need to be asked. Uh, The first one is, should the PGA Tour or any events on the PGA Tour be adopting any of these innovations like the shotgun start? So I think, I mean, there's a few innovations. One is the teams part of it. And and that's, you know, a really interesting thing. At the moment, it hasn't got traction. But every Live Tour not only has an individual winner, but it has a teams winner. So everyone's playing as part of a a four-person team. So I think there is something in that because, I mean, when it comes to the PGA or the the broader golf tour, the only real teams event is the Ryder Cup. Um, You also have the President's Cup, I suppose, but that's only every couple of years. And I think people love watching teams events. So that's certainly one innovation that you could look at. Shotgun start, yeah, I can I could see how that, you know, would be attractive to a, a TV audience that you have more action on your screen um, more often. So I think, you know, something like this will cause a traditional league uh, or a traditional sporting organisation like the PGA to perhaps look at itself and see how can we do things better? How can we innovate and shake things up a little bit more? I'm surprised you're going for the teams event. I uh, I don't get it. It feels to me, and I, I could be wrong, it feels to me a lot like teams events as played in esports, right, where you you have effectively a, a, a sponsored team of players and you know, their points get added together as opposed to a team where they're supporting each other. It didn't didn't really work for me, but the shotgun start does, I think. I think that makes sense to hold it in a window. It's more... Yeah, there's less of that. It's not random, of course, but as you say, that eight-hour stretch of golf, which is uh, seems unnecessary because people are doing this at club level all the time. And there's more of the – I mean, there's a few parallels, I think, with the shorter form of cricket, so 2020 cricket. So it's all about the razzmatazz outside of the, the event as well. So they're setting up – you know, a whole bunch of the celebrities at each lived tour event. There's things that you can do before and after you're there. It's certainly encouraging more of a festival atmosphere, um, which is very different to the staid. The activations. Um, could be some activations, activations yeah. Marvellous. Uh, look, one thing I'm interested about this conversation we're having here, and I think, well, I'm, I'm sort of half asking you, Jono, I wonder whether this is also the same in the golfing fraternity. The conversation has moved on from what the initial outrage, which was getting into bed with the murderous regime of Saudi Arabia. Is that still part of the concern of, of, of why are you signing up for those guys? Because it doesn't seem to be as much in the general media that I read, and it doesn't seem to be as much in this conversation we're just having here. We've, we've passed over that uh, almost or forgotten that. Have we forgotten that? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever forget that, and I think that's certainly going to be an issue they'll have to confront. I mean, I think if you look 
back at that, it was an extraordinarily bad PR disaster, the way it was handled. I mean, Phil Mickelson put his foot in his mouth. The Shark did likewise. The players who were bowled up to that, that initial press press conference before the first event just weren't prepared. Mm. Um, whoever is their comms person... Well, it's probably the shark. <laughs> he said it, he probably <laughs> said it's okay on the shark, and uh, we can do it this way, and it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, look, there is that issue, and, and look, I think that will still be put to them. That's an interesting one, and you know, we've talked about that before. It's it's a complex one. Where do you draw the line when it comes to that? Because so many other sports and sporting organisations, you know, have money that have come in either from Saudi Arabia or mm. you know similar. And, and you know, you're exactly right. I, I happen to be looking, so I'm a nominal. No, well, let me start that again. I'm a McLaren fan because Daniel Ricciardo drives for McLaren. Now, I, I happen to stumble across the little factoid that McLaren received about £500 million of capital injection in the middle of 2021, of which the public investment fund, PIF, the, the Saudi Arabian sovereign fund effectively, were a significant contributor to that. They were, they were part of a $400 million, pound, I should say, block. So I don't know, we don't know exactly how much they, they contributed. But I'm guessing it's you know it's north of Decent 100 amount. million pounds and possibly two or 300 million pounds, and they own Newcastle United, for example. After you know, yeah, it, it, one attempt that didn't pass the pub test, but it got forced through, supposedly by the politicians in the back room. So, you know, if we are to complain about Live Golf being linked with Saudi Arabia, we uh, we as sports fans are a little bit hypocritical if we don't also start questioning other linkages to other other sports teams and so forth. Well, I think. It, I don't think that issue is going to go away. I think it's going to plague them for a very long time. My second iconoclastic question, though, I think oh, yes. you sort of touched on, Paul, is do we owe Greg Norman an apology? Mm. Certainly not yet. Not for his comment that everyone makes mistakes, all right? Not for that. That's, that is we've outrageous. Already, we've already given that a red but, card. Yeah, we have, rightly so. But because he said this would work and we said you're dreaming. Yeah, so not yet. Because I don't know if it will work. I mean, it's, he's made a big splash and the Live Tour is in its infancy. I reckon you've got to give it a year or so and see how it plays out and the extent to which the public investment fund slash Saudi Arabia are prepared to continue this investment. I mean, ultimately, these sorts of investors are only putting money in, you would think, because they want to make a return. Mm. Um, and they'll need to see that return at some point. So I think we've got to see how it plays plays out this year before we let the shark off the hook. I mean, that's a really good question point you make there, Simon. Is that their motivation? Is a is a is a country so rich on petrodollars splashing twenty five million bucks across each across eight tournaments? Is money their concern? Are they looking for something else? Are they trying to disrupt? The, you know, let's get go big picture here. You know, the the way the West lives their lives. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of bigger, more dramatic questions than than yeah, sure. Than I mean, the whole sports money. washing thing. There, there's no yeah, doubt that that yeah. could potentially be a motivation. Look, I I I'd like to answer my own question. Please and do. Say it will shine for about two or three years, and then fall away. And the PGA will yeah, maybe give everyone an extra six months off, and then take everyone back. And by the time we're having this conversation in 2026, out. 200th show, is that right? Well, thereabouts. Yeah. You know, we, we'll, we'll be going, remember remember that Greg Norman thing with the Live Golf Tour where they paid everyone a gajillion dollars to pay about 24 tournaments? Oh, how we oh, will my laugh. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> golf uh, club, golf uh, club. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it's. I suspect we'll talk about this again. As much as I don't like talking about golf, as you know, Jono, this is actually a topic that is of interest to me because of all of the way, all of the various factors that are at play that we've covered here. So I'm, I'm sure we'll talk of it again. It's, it's, there's much to play out. I'm here for you, Richie, to Thank, talk golf. Thanks, John. I knew you would be. 
Uh, On to the shootout now where we cover a a few more topics in a slightly briefer fashion. And uh, let's kick off with netball, which we don't talk enough about here on the show. Look, you know you've made it as a sport when your financial woes are big news. Netball is one of the biggest participation sports in the country. And indeed, it's fought hard to get its top league quality airtime. But these things take money and it's become apparent that netball is in something of a tight financial position. So much so that they did a bit of a Super Bowl and sold the hosting rights to its July 3rd grand final. So again, you may have already known the result by the time you come to listen to this. It was moved abruptly from a the traditional home team advantage scenario to, uh, well, to Perth. Uh, <laughs> presumably for a tidy sum. And it will allow Netball to actually pay prize money to the two participants. Yeah, disappointing in some respects, isn't it? I hadn't realised how bad Netball Australia was going financially, but I saw what a $2.8 million loss... In 2020, 4.4 million loss in 2021. No doubt COVID played a, a massive role in yep. those two years. Mm. But at the moment, they've had to issue a going concern notice. So as you say, they've sold the grand final rights effectively as a cash grab. Pretty much. And loans of loans out of 4 million bucks, uh, John, to add to the financials there. It's, it's interesting, right? Because they have made a big effort in the last few years to really try to sort of uh, reinvent the sport, revitalise the sport, you know, fast five, two-point baskets, uh, you know, netball but louder. Uh, <laughs> Where have I heard that before? It just, hasn't, it just doesn't seem to have worked. And to be fair, I think COVID, you know, cut such a huge dent. I think this is I'm, – I'm hoping this is really just a, a really old and gutsy commercial call to, to help balance the books and then they reestablish their, their home ground tradition. Bit harsh on uh, your home team, though, Rails, the Melbourne Vixens, who were the minor premiers and uh, probably would have been hosting the grand final, but for this move. So we'll see. Well, this is true. I mean, as as the centre of known universe, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting call to take it to, to Perth. <laughs> uh, obviously, trying to expand into new territories. But uh, yeah, don't worry. It'll be back here, you know, as soon as it's based on uh, whoever the top ranked team is in well, the competition. Well, Perth's got that new sixty thousand seat stadium, so they want to fill it with something. Yeah, that's true. The other element to this is that the players were not consulted on the change of plans for the grand final, so they got a the organisers got a hail of feedback about that, and I think there's a bit of a testy relationship between the players and the administration there, anyway. And I'm not really too sure what player consultation or player input uh, whether it might have changed the decision, perhaps not. But that also was a bit of a factor in the whole decision. So that's uh, that may also be a developing part of the story that. Uh, a testy relationship between the administrators and the players. Isn't that an age-old chestnut? So um, hope your team won the Netball Grand Final if you're getting it to that stage, and I hope Netball managed to recover from their tricky financial situation at present. On to uh, the world, 2024 World Cup. Now, in the words of Logie-winning former Swan Tony Armstrong in his role as the ABC's live from Federation Square correspondent, <laughs> we're through! We're through to the World Cup! Tony. Yes! What a great cross that was. And I'm not talking soccer cross, obviously. Yeah, the Socceroos took a particularly tortuous scenic route to get there, beating Peru on penos, as we all know, hopefully all know. And so we are indeed going to Qatar 2022. Uh, Worth a cool 17 million bucks, apparently, to qualify. So I wonder how we'll spend it this time, Steve-O. Well, yeah, based on history, not well. (laughs) I, I, I knew I could rely on throwing to you. Look, it's interesting how $17 million is a big number for uh, for football in Australia right now. I went uh, and did a little bit more research. I know you were surprised I did it in the first place, but a little Perhaps. bit more research. Back to our, our good friend David Gallup. Back in 2013, 
when he took over football, he had a $160 million four-year TV deal. Mm. And he asserted that uh, football will one day be the biggest code <laughs> in Australia. Bless. Wow. Well, they're going to have to start that, again, my friend. That didn't uh, age well. I, look, it was fantastic. I watched, I watched the penalty shootout. Uh, I watched us win it. I, I must say there was there was uh, another set of fist pump, as is my way. But uh, and I'll be looking forward to to watching them. But I'm not not expecting them to spend the seventeen million dollars very well. Well, the players get a fair chunk of it, so I oh, realise really? this. But yeah, forty percent goes to the players under okay. the collective bargaining agreement. So That's anyone who in the twenty three man World Cup squad, two hundred and twenty six thousand per player for making the squad and an additional bonus of about $300,000 per player if they reach the round of 16. So that's pretty pretty tidy coin for a three- or four-week tournament. It's also a big if on making the round of yeah. 16. <laughs> it's, it's not an easy group, is it? It's, France, it's not. Denmark, it's not. Tunisia. Well, hopefully the French and the, the Danes don't like the heat, and us and Tunisia yeah. will go through. We'll see. And red card, yellow cards, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who've misdemeaned, is that a word, off the field of play? I'll pay it. Uh, Steve-O, start us off. I feel like misdemean getting stuck in, but I've got a good story for red card, yellow card, because the segment lives on the AFL. Champions have come to the party and reminded us just how foolhardy and ridiculous players can be when they really put their mind to it. We, we had a dearth of nominations earlier in the year. But a, couple, a few of them have stepped forward. Stephen May from the Melbourne Demons got into a fight with one of his teammates at a restaurant. We had Bailey Smith, who, and, and this is a bit, a bit of a serious one because this might be showing some some of the anxiety and pressure he's under, but he's dallied with some some party drugs and decided to put it on social media. And then Jordan Degoe, good old Jordan Degoe, is still wants uh, some of the awards named after him, uh, got fined for uh, excessive partying in Indonesia again, filmed on social media. So I'm not sure whether to give him a gold star or a yellow card, but here's to the AFL nominations for red card, yellow card this month. What's a Darth? A dearth or a Darth? Yeah. yeah. Lack thereof. I heard Darth. That's That was my, that's my query. Yeah. But yes, uh, Roz, uh, look, I mean, I must say I previously wasn't convinced of the value of the Byron and Aussie rules, but, geez, if these are the kind of events that come out of it, then uh, I'm all for it. Jono, what about yourself? Uh, world of golf for me, Rochi. In fact, it's the world of golf commentating of all things. Uh, wow. You would have heard the name Nick Faldo, of course. Of course. Uh, six-time major winner, legend on the course, but has always had a somewhat complex personal life, Faldo. Mm. Turns out that he's recently... Do you mean he's dull? Is that sort of euphemism for his, his no, dull? No, no, he's, he's dull, isn't he? he? He's not particularly liked uh, off the field of well, play. Because he's dull. Yeah, maybe. There's okay. a bit of that. But anyway, he's just announced his retirement from uh, CBS golf commentating duties to spend more time with his fourth wife, Lindsay DeMarco, who is apparently a former topless dancer and herself has six ex-husbands and a drug conviction. Um, Lindsay's ex-husband, Randy Hine, has said that they are like golf's answer to Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Hine, who in fact married Lindsay twice, said after the engagement, (laughs) Lindsay has enough husbands for us all to be ushers at the wedding. At the very least, we should all be invited to the bachelor party. I could sort the strippers. It's not like I don't know a few. Um, I did my research from reading the Daily Mail. You'd be pleased to know, Rochi. I would assume but so. But just, just pausing there. So it is a beautiful love story, this one. Sounds um, it. Nick and Lindsay are going to spend their, all their time living on a ranch in the wilds of Montana. Rochi, you'd be pleased to know that this news was breathlessly reported in the uh, the Daily Mail alongside a series no of photos doubt. of Nick in the wilds of Montana on horseback, shearing a sheep, fly fishing, 
or with his impeccably made up and perhaps surgically enhanced new bride by his side. You've got to give it to Nick and Lindsay. If at first you don't succeed in marriage, try, try again. Try, try again. <laughs> number six for her, number four for him. Who would do that, such that's, a thing? There's got to be some sort of line there about parallel to majors, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Look, I'm going to go. Oh, sorry, card, card. Oh, look, I think um, yellow for leaving little... golf in the lurch. Just when golf needs Nick, he's, really? uh, he's leaving them in the lurch. Okay, look, I say, I say good luck to him. Uh, I'm going to return to Aussie rules, the gift that does keep on giving as Riles pointed out, uh, and back to Collingwood as well. Uh, Jordan Degoe, of course, is his club. Into my version of uh, red card, yellow card, it's Jack Ginevan. Ginevan? How do you pronounce it? I have, I've only read it. I haven't actually heard it. You say potato, I say Ginevan. Kana, yeah. K- 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 I'm going to say. Jack and Isaac, is a bit easier, did a trend, quote unquote, did a trend to quote their apology video. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that grammatically, but anyway, that's not my uh, nomination. On TikTok, so they did a trend on TikTok, the Chinese-owned short-form video platform. Mm. This trend, now I'm sort of vaguely familiar with TikTok trends, dance moves, right? You see these things and right. the kids you know, copy a dance move and show each other how they go. But this trend involves rating theoretical members of the opposite sex, contrasting a positive trait with a negative trait, and, and what impact the latter would have on your assessment of the former. Mm. So in other words, basically what young virile adults have been doing probably since the dawn of time. What's different about this one is they videoed it Uh. and they uploaded it to TikTok and then the club told them to take it down and do an apology video on TikTok, (laughs) which Isaac almost made sound off the cuff until he misread, uh, sorry, misread a word or two. But Jack has more work to do if he wants to make the media gravy train next decade when his career wraps up. Going the straight read, even the "Hey guys" bit. So it's all scripted. Uh, yeah. So it's look, it's, a, it's and it's the same apology that everyone reads that um, Bailey Smith read. You know, it's all written by the same person. These apologies. So I think look, it's it's clearly yellow to to Jack and Isaac for sticking it up on social media, but um, it's also yellow possibly for the apology, for, I think. yeah, for, and possibly even the club gets a bit here for the why draw it to attention, ham fisted. And look, it's maybe it's a yellow for the blathering voices out there who said, this is outrageous. They're talking about theoretical people who just, have to sort of start pinching lines off Titus O'Reilly, the great satirical Aussie rules writer. You know, these theoretical people have theoretical feelings and theoretical rest of their lives to theoretically think about. I just think it's theoretically wonderful that you talk with such great authority about TikTok, the man <laughs> who still has a Hotmail account, as we've mentioned a couple of times. Leave my Hotmail account over it. I have sentimental attachment to that. September 1997. There you go. There you do go. So, yeah, there's a smattering of cards possible there. I don't know, it's a, but it's just a, it's a fantastic story. To Riles's point, the AFL at this buy round has just been fantastic for red card, yellow card. Well played, AFL. And at the conclusion of red card, yellow card, we therefore say goodbye to another exciting episode of For and Against, and indeed goodbye to you, Stephen Riley. Look, I'd like to, you know, us to collectively raise our bat, acknowledge the crowd. And uh, yeah, like I said, you know, next next show we just take out again and we go on with it. Uh, pleasure, pleasure sitting with you for a hundred shows, gentlemen. Indeed, uh, really, I've enjoyed every minute. Mid pitch fist pump, Jono. Goodbye to you. Hundred not out. It's good for the average. And let's, let's keep it not out. <laughs> good call. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Hey, don't forget you can get us on Twitter at four and against underscore and on Insta four dot and dot against. But yes, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. So until then, it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks for joining us on For and Against. Bye for now.